You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for missionaries and leaders living out their God-given calling through this small expression of the church. This podcast is meant to encourage, equip, and contribute to the overall discussion of this smaller way. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. You are listening to Microchurches, a podcast for people brave enough to be small. This is your host, Tommy Wilkerson, and in this series, we are looking at uh, Microchurch 101. What are the basic things that we feel like every microchurch leader should have or take into consideration as they get ready to launch into their work? So early we were talking about the ecclesial minimum and the way that that could be contextualized to your particular mission field. And then we talked a little bit about basic discipleship plans, the, the two spaces that every microchurch needs. And in this last episode of this series, we felt like it was important to dive into suffering and just the role that that plays in the missionary life. So this will conclude our series, and actually this will conclude our first season of this podcast. And so we're going to take a break in the summer, then we'll come back in the fall uh, with a whole new season and a whole new set of series uh, to equip you and come alongside you as you do the work of mission. And so, yeah, once again, I'm joined by Jeremy. Uh, Thank you so much for hopping on as always. What's up, man? Cool. So uh, it seems to me that, um, you know, there are certain things that we talk about in our community here in Tampa uh, that as people hang out with us, that they're maybe always a little bit surprised to hear that we talk about. So one is failure. I think anyone who comes around us for any period of time is uh, always either just encouraged or just shocked by the amount that we talk about failure and how much (laughs) we try to normalize it a little bit. We don't cover it up. (laughs) We don't polish that. (laughs) Um, And so people are always surprised about that. Uh, And I think people are always a little taken aback, too, just by maybe some of our Christology that we say at the end of the day, we don't care about microchurches or the underground as much as we want Jesus. And so that's always a big surprise to people. Um, But I think if people hung out with us long enough, too, I think they'd be surprised and are surprised by the amount that we talk about suffering. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's regularly something that we talk about from the stage. Uh, it's never really far from our curriculum or from our teaching. Coaching. coaching. Like half the coaching conversations is like, let's just cry for a second. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. Um, yeah, I guess it's just, that's just so strange. And I guess for, I, I guess I would be curious to where does that come from within us as a, as a community? Why do we talk about suffering so much? Where does that uh, find its origin if there is an origin? Uh, well, yeah, I don't know, man. It might be news news to some folks, but Jesus was crucified. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's, it's thoroughly rooted <laughs> in our understanding of who he is. And then we have this weird thing where we break bread and, and we pour out some wine and we declare the death of Jesus until his return. And somehow this is like a cornerstone symbol of our faith. So man, you start doing that Christology work and then you you say, man, okay, this is the head. Mm. What does that mean for us, the body? And his scars are not erased. You know, you apparently you could put your finger in his side if you wanted to. Mm. So like that's not covered up by the resurrection. So okay, what the heck? The lamb looks to be slain. Mm. who's on the throne. So you start doing this Christology, and you go, we can't run from this. Hmm. Like, you just can't run from it. 
there's there's something about suffering and death and so now you have to explore that like is it just any death is it any form of suffering if i'm suffering because i'm an a-hole <laughs> is that what it means i'm i'm like the slain lamb no you're a jerk you know yeah. <laughs> like you're just not a nice person um but but then you, you you start doing that work kind of uncovering okay what, what does this really mean suffering in the kingdom somehow endure, there's continuity and discontinuity in the new heaven new earth and there yeah. is continuity somehow some form of suffering there's continuity with it that somehow declares hmm. like the power of god hmm. or i don't i i'm maybe we don't even know yet but i just know that there's some kind of continuity so what do we do with that as missionaries there's a place of suffering. There's a place of imitation of Christ. Of you know, what lacks in his sufferings. Paul talks about this. Like, right. and you know, I'm, I'm adding to that. I'm filling that. You know, mm. so you go, oh my gosh, what, what does all this mean? And of course, and then if you're a practitioner, you actually try to go love somebody, who's a human, who's broken, in this broken world. <laughs> <laughs> you you know, in about two and a half minutes, uh, you got about three knives in your back. Mm. And the devil's punched you in the mouth. Yeah, what you thought was a good good idea and a good plan and a good way to love people, uh, in fact, is not very good and or effective. And mm. you're walking away with a bloody lip, and uh, and you're just kind of reeling with a concussion yeah. for mission. So, uh, you know, we're able to like talk so freely about that. You know, loving, you know, being taken advantage of, being betrayed. It's like, yeah, because we are actually looking to imitate Jesus, to be like Jesus. Not in the Savior kind of way, mm. but in the sense like, Jesus was betrayed. Right. If they called Jesus Beelzebub, you know, how much more for us? Like, we're, we're yeah. going to get it, you know? Then the, he, he promises persecution to his people, you know? So, like, that's like, oh, Lord Jesus, seriously? Like, you're going to call us into this? Yeah. Call us away from our families? Call us into death? You know, so as practitioners, you have this experience now. Hmm. As theologians or just Bible people, you know, the Bible Project, Bible nerds, right? Hmm. And you go, man, it seems like we can't get away from, like, something permanent to suffering that glorifies God that's a part of his kingdom that somehow exalt exalts his name, right? Mm-hmm. You start putting that together and you say, man, we, we just don't shy away from it. The last piece, I think, as far as like origin, as far as us stumbling across the need to talk about suffering is is the global poor. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and you just go overseas and you go, I'm seeing people suffer in a way I haven't ever seen people suffer, right? Not right. where I grew up. I, I didn't grow up in a really rich area either of the country. Yet, you know, go go to some places around the world, you're like, I've never seen anything like this. And there's, and there's believers there hmm. that make me look barely Christian. Yeah. You know? And, and you start asking them about suffering. And you start, like, mining the, their discipleship. What have they learned from those those dark places and the, those uh, those you know scars or whatever mm. and you you just realize like man we're, like we're missing it as we try to avoid suffering we're missing something you know <laughs> um i think we're actually missing 
uh, Jesus were missing the cross. You know, the cross actually being manifested in our lives in, yeah. in a positive way. Yeah. You know, uh, where we imitate Jesus as we bear the bear the cross, right? As we daily take it up, type of thing. Um, mm. But that, I mean, it's an execution device that we're supposed to take up daily. <laughs> You know, and then if it's in the likeness of Jesus, it's actually the execution device based on other people's crap, mm. not even my own. Yeah. So like, oh, I'm bearing my cross. No, you're you're bearing the consequences of you being a jerk. <laughs> the imitating Jesus part is when you're bearing the burdens and the suffering and the execution of another. Yeah. It's it's somebody else's fault. Yeah. You know, and you carry that. It's like, oh my gosh, okay. So now now we become free to talk about it. Yeah. Free to engage it. Even free to I'm cautious with this, but like celebrate it. Mm. Like it you know, Gethsemane sucks. Yeah. I mean for Jesus, he's like, No, Lord, is there another you know, take this away. Yeah. Um, and yet there's an intimacy found with Jesus in the place of suffering you know, that we can have that's available to us. Yeah. Um, and so we're looking for that intimacy. Hmm. So, so all those pieces kind of over time, I think it produces an environment where we go, we, we want Jesus. We want intimacy. We want maturity, but also somehow our experience necessitates talking about it because we experience suffering in mission. Right. So it's like, Guys, can we can we make sense of this? Because this is some mm. bull out here. You know what I'm saying? Like, we're, I'm getting worked over here. Yeah. And yet I feel called and I feel God's presence. Mm. So how do I make sense of it? So there's a need to unpack that, talk about it, encourage it, affirm it, be compassionate, be empathetic, you know? Mm. So I think that's, I don't think we set out like, hey, let's be like a suffering community. But it was a logical path we took like a conclusion the conclusion's logical yeah you know and i mean it's true in the manifesto right like there's the the value of passion and and we talk about passion not just in the uh maybe the the way that we talk about it normally in terms of really into desire or whatever but also in its origin like the actual meaning of passion the passion of the christ to to suffer um and and it does seem like there is a tension that we navigate in that, I mean, suffering by nature of what it is, yeah, no one, if you're enjoying it, if unless maybe you're David Goggins or something, it's like no one actually enjoys suffering. Uh, that's part of what makes it suffering. Yes. Uh, and so it's not like you go out looking for it necessarily, and yet you also can't really run from it. And so, yeah, it's like this weird place that you kind of find yourself as a as a missionary it's like how do i what is the faithful response here it's like it is laid out in scripture it's hard to find a book in the new testament that doesn't talk about suffering right. yeah um and yeah the apostles find a way to rejoice in it and to to see it as i don't know a, a mark of to fellowship with christ in his sufferings yeah there's it, a fellowship partnership koinonia with jesus in suffering we want that. We yeah. want all of it. Yeah. Man. What the heck? Yeah. What kind of religion do we have here? <laughs> <laughs> it's true. I was actually having a conversation with a guy at a cafe, and I think he was, 
don't know if he was of the opinion that, you know, people believe whatever religion is just helpful for them or is easiest for them or whatever. And I was like, nah, dude, if I wanted to go that route, I would have chosen hedonism. Like, that, oh, no, yeah, that's, that's clearly a, a, yeah. a uh, hypothetically funner choice. <laughs> it's like to choose a religion that talks about suffering, that mm-hmm. the way you get to know Jesus, there is a fellowship in, in, in suffering with him. It's just, it's just crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, to even talk about, <laughs> oh yeah, go for it. I, I was just thinking, uh, I, I was talking to a, a friend of mine recently and, and talking about like the disembodied or like the escape mm-hmm. that religion might produce or Messiah might produce. And I was like, Oh, actually bro, there's no mis- escape. Like mm-hmm. we're not disembodied. Yeah. So in the Christian worldview, body and soul are like both good and meant for each other. That's what makes you human. Mm-hmm. So you actually can never escape, you know? So it just like, and, and then we can make sense of that because there is a place for suffering. Okay, well, if you can't escape, then what do you do with the suffering? What do you do with the pain? Mm. So you, exactly, <laughs> you know. Yeah. And now we're at the cross. Yeah, yeah, hmm. yeah. And I think to to even have this is part of microchurches one hundred and one. That like what we feel like is important for every microchurch leader to be aware of or to understand about their work is suffering yeah. is martyrdom is the need for other missionary peers i just think is is i don't know mind-boggling to me yeah. uh and yeah so i don't know we've already said a lot of it and so maybe it's kind of backtracking but if there's a maybe any other reason why you feel like yeah this is important for this category like if we're going to talk about the the basics of microchurches and microchurch life we have to talk about suffering. Why does suffering fit in that yeah. category? Mm-hmm. Uh, I just, if you're gonna love people, buckle up, Buttercup. <laughs> like really love people and really give your life away. You're just gonna get hurt, mm. and you're gonna suffer. You're gonna see them make bad decisions, poor decisions. You're gonna see them turn from God. You're gonna mm. see them turn from you. Um, you're going to see them turn from God and blame you for their turning away from God. You know, like you're going yeah. to see all of that if you really give your life away and, and love other people. Um, you know, and whether that's very just like normal neighbor to neighbor kind of stuff or some kids down the street or some coworkers. Like if you really give your heart to people, like you get a sense like of God's heart for those people, hmm. you're going to get hurt by those people right um then there's like just cosmic realities powers principalities and if you really get into the mission game extending the rule and reign of jesus and partnering with him with him in that work uh the the devil's real (laughs) yeah yeah you know and there are schemes of the enemy and uh you're you're just gonna face trials you know and jesus is like yeah you know you're gonna face but I've overcome the world. In this world, you're going to face trials and suffering. Mm. But don't be afraid. I've overcome. You know? So I just think that's wild, man, that Jesus, even in his, like, victory, is like, oh, don't worry. You're going to get it. (laughs) (laughs) So I just think, man, if if you step out of the boat, if you if you step into those graveyards, you know, 
if if you you walk into those villages i mean it it's on mm. you know and you're gonna suffer either in you know by proxy because you're you're compassionate for someone else you're suffering with them yeah that family that single mother and that's be- that's a beautiful form of suffering but you do ache with mm. it you know but then there's also the very personal <laughs> yeah devil coming for you kind of stuff you yeah. know um like you you may lose your job mm. that's the thing in this world yeah. because not again not because you're a jerk don't be a jerks you know conversation season with salt right yeah. at the same time if you love people the way jesus loves them you're going to probably find yourself in some kind of conversation at some point that may or may not rub somebody wrong to those who are perishing, it smells like death. Right. Right. And that might get you fired. And and there may be nothing you could have done, like, other than being not faithful to Jesus. Mm. Right? So that's that's the situation I'm talking about. There's yeah. some teachers that if they're faithful to Jesus, they know they're riding the edge of a knife. Mm. That it just takes one kid, one parent turning them in. And I'm not talking about the teachers that are wild and crazy and just like super religious and pharisaical. I'm talking about the Jesus loving, you know, praying folks. Yeah. But they know. They know they they get in those conversations with some kids or with some coworkers or parents and it, it's kingdom and they know they should do it. But but they also know that I'm on the edge of a knife with my job mm-hmm. in this environment. Yeah. Like that's that's a real thing. That's a suffering that we only avoid if we're not faithful. Right, so that that can be true, you know. Um, I mean, there's, there's, I mean, working with kids, it's like it takes one kid to, to accuse you, yeah, you know, and you could be so careful and so everything, and you, you know, just one mistake as far as like not having a camera on you at all time or not having another adult in the room or you you just make one mistake. And I mean, it could be you might go to jail. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and these aren't hypothetical things. These are all things that have happened. Yeah. So, it, so I'm I'm saying like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm trying not to be too specific, but I'm like, no, this is real. We know some folks. We know some folks. <laughs> and the only way for them, I mean, maybe in some situations, you're like, hey, but you, but that's all 2020 hindsight. It's like mm. when you're in the mission, you're trying to love somebody. You're also going to make a few mistakes, right? In the name of love, in the name of sacrifice, in the name of Jesus, you're also going to screw it up a little bit, yeah. And you might get fired for it. You're like, oh gosh, I could have done that differently, but yeah. But how would you have known that? Mm. How would you have known to do that differently? You know, yeah. You're going to mess it up. That that type of stuff. So you, we gotta, we gotta just know as we step into those waters. Yeah, there, there's. There's trials, mm. but but there are these promises available to us from Jesus, associated with suffering, mm. right? That are actually only available to us in suffering, mm. right? Yeah. So there's a peace that we're able to have because He's overcome the world in the middle of a trial, <laughs> right? But if we're not in the middle of a trial, then that that type of peace, that that divine interaction with us, we don't get that. Mm. Not because he withholds it from us. It's just you don't need it. Yeah, you, you're not that. You're not in that place. That that fellowship that you can have with him in suffering, 
right? You, you know, it, that, that fellowship is only there if you're suffering, right? right? right. So, um, yeah, so I, I think, I mean, you're going to get it. You're going to enter into it. It, it this is yeah I, I just think anybody who's missional i mean we kind of make the jokes like yeah in about 10 minutes it'll take about 10 minutes you actually trying to love people radically in the name of jesus before you suffer mm-hmm. <laughs> and of course if i say that to a large enough crowd of actual practitioners missional people they all laugh because they all know it's true yeah they're like oh oh heck yeah you know i said <laughs> turn to your neighbor you know yeah <laughs> you know Pull the knife out, you know, and everybody be like, ah, ha, 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 yeah, pull the knife out. You know, everybody's got the knife in their back. Everybody's discipled somebody who stabbed them in the back. Right. You know, and that hurts yeah. bad. Hurts deeply. So we have to talk about suffering. I mean, if you're a microchurch leader, one-on-one, like, you need Jesus more than you think you need him. Mm. You know? Yeah. Like, you got to upgrade your spirituality to like engage hmm. with darkness because yeah. that's that's really what we're talking about dude like we're microchurch theory and oh it's so cool and we borderline or self-actualization freaks you know like, mom because i'm called to this and it's like <laughs> no the devil's real he's gonna punch you right in your right in your mouth you know yeah. he's gonna knock out some teeth and what are you gonna do yeah are you still called because if you're still called you'll be like that hurt yeah and then you're gonna get back up you gonna try again? <laughs> yeah, you know, but you you gotta know, man. You, you gotta upgrade your your our little like Sunday school spirituality is not does not work for hmm. that environment, you know. And of course, we've seen that too. Yeah. People that just think, oh, you know, this is I'm I'm you know this is gonna be rainbows and ice cream. You know, they quit. Right. Right. You know. I mean, it kind of takes us back a little bit to the the missionary journey. Like we we mentioned that at the beginning of this whole podcast uh, this season, but yeah, part of the the journey is as you you're called, you start something, and it's not as you experiment and practice. It's not too long until you hit the wall. So you yeah. hit some sort of things are more complicated, mm-hmm. sufferings involved, mm-hmm. and and. Uh, just as you do that, um, I, one of the things that we've talked about often is that the, the need, that the leadership needs, it just changes over time. Yep. Um, yep. Yeah. Early on, you need some coaching to help you put a plan together or identify your team or pivot on some kind of outreach idea or something like that. Yeah. But the research, I mean, it comes back 100%. Every microchurch leader wants to quit at some point. Their great ideas for whatever they thought they have to try them, mm. but they fail. They always fail yeah. because they're not God Himself. Like our ideas are not Yahweh. <laughs> so it's like right. We we have the theology for this. We just need to get get right. You know, right. <laughs> our ideas are not the Savior, but we have to try the ideas because we're trying to join the Savior mm-hmm. in the world in concrete ways. But at the end of the day, they, they all don't really work right. that well. And so our confidence decreases. We feel maybe even some shame, you know, that type of stuff. The fear of failure comes in hard, and you want to quit. Everybody wants to quit, 100% rate, want to quit. And the only thing that allows microchurch leaders to persevere is other microchurch leaders who remind them about their calling. 
Mm. It's the only thing that we found in our research that allows microchurch leaders who hit the wall and want to quit, what keeps them persevering? It's other people going, bro, me too. I want to quit too. What? <laughs> you know? Yeah. But what did Jesus ask you to do? Mm. What did Jesus say? Because he hasn't told me to quit yet. You know, and that I, we have a problem here. I want to quit. Yeah. The problem is, is I don't belong to myself anymore. It's not I who live. It's Christ in me who lives. Mm. We have a problem here yeah. <laughs> because I want to quit. <laughs> and I can't. I can't because mm. Jesus didn't tell me to quit. Right. You know, he apparently did not change his mind yet. He asked me to love these neighbors, to love these kids, to adopt this school, whatever it is. Mm. I, I can't. I have to try again. I have to keep. I have to try, you know, a hundred yeah. times. I fail every time. You know, whatever. <clears throat> that allows people to pivot. That allows people to get back up and try again. Hmm. Um, that's all we found, though. It's weird because you think, oh, they need a really good sermon. Sermons can be helpful in the sense of like, you know, what what is Jesus you know, reminding you of the calling peace? But there's something about that peer-to-peer empathetic connection. Mm-hmm. Somebody looking you in the eyes and just going... Yeah, me too, bro. Yeah, I wanted to quit last week. <laughs> you yeah. know? Problem is, Jesus didn't change his mind yet. So I I don't know what I'm going to do, but I have to try to be faithful to him, you know? Yeah. Which is why we always emphasize calling versus methodology or right. success rates or return on investments. Like, no, no. Like, like we we only find people persevere because Jesus is the one that told them to do it. Mm. right if you tell if you know the great Tommy tells me hey i need you to adopt this school and take care of these kids and you really motivate me you pump me up you even give me some worksheets to work through and man, i feel really good about my plan and my team and maybe you give me some money it's great eventually that's going to suck it's going to work i'm going to suffer in that place mm. and i'm going to want to quit and i have nothing to really fall back on other than you and you are not strong enough Right. For me. Right? Because you you were not the cross. Right. Yeah. <laughs> or the resurrected one, the firstborn from the dead. So it's like it, it's going to fail eventually. So you could do that. You could motivate people to do all sorts of things in your power. Mm-hmm. But your power is finite. And it's not enough to endure suffering. Yeah. So that's that's what we found. I mean, that's, that's really 20 years of doing this stuff, you know? Hmm. So it's like, yeah, we've been around the block a few times. We've seen some stuff go down. And that's how, that's all we see that really works. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, we've talked about this before. Just, um, I guess some of it's social cohesion, but like just syncopated movement. Like, we're doing burpees together. Yeah. And... I wanted to quit 10 burpees ago, yep. but because I'm doing it with you. Yeah, you're really in shape. I, I, I wanted to quit at three. <laughs> um, but because we're doing it together, there's a way that yep. we can just keep going longer. There's a, yep. there's a, and maybe in like a, like that's a very literal, physical thing that happens. Yep. But it sounds like even as we're talking that there's a way that that happens metaphorically and, and relationally. Mm-hmm. Like even if, we're doing two completely separate things. 
serving two completely different groups. Yep. Something about knowing that the other person is there yep. uh, and is also suffering pushes us to go longer than we normally My brother and sisters over there grinding in the name of Jesus. So I, when we're talking about suffering and grinding and the hardness and the trenches, there is a way that even in that, we think that we're saving the world. We get mm. the Messiah complex. So I'm not talking about that dysfunction. I mean, we all, yeah. we, we come in and out of that place thinking I have power to save the world or save this person or something. And so that's always a place of repentance. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about there is a place of like actual kingdom grinding, kingdom mm. work and labor. And it's it's beautiful and it's in alignment with Jesus. And But it is hard. Yeah. It is tough work. It is is sowing seed. And if anybody's a farmer out there, you know, it's like, this is hard. Yeah. And you're not seeing a whole lot. You know, you, oh, I threw all this seed away. Yeah. <laughs> and it looks really wasteful. And by faith, we're going to have a crop type of thing. But, man, the initial work sucks, man, tilling soil. and the, I mean, Jesus uses these metaphors. Mm. So to know, hey, my brother or sister's over there in that field doing that holy work, you know, yeah. sweating, it, sweating it out. You know, me too. And, yeah, I think there's unity in that. So it, oftentimes people, you know, how do you have unity in a de- decentralized network, dispersed network like this? It's one of the ways you have unity. And I'll tell you what, I mean, we feel it. We just had a meeting last night. It's like all these people doing all kinds of different things. Yeah. But, man, it's like time to pray for each other. We pray protection over each other. And there's this sense of unity because it's like I know that you need the armor of God, and I know I need the armor of God. And we need, like, instant unity because I know you're out there and I'm out there. And it's like there's so much to be disunified about. Right. Like if we really got into it, you know, we'd find stuff that we're like, oh, you're a little weird, you know. But it just all evaporates because there's a sense of, man, like, we really need the Lord to protect us, hmm. you know? And it brings about unity that transcends all that diversity. So it allows for the diversity, ethnically, you know, nationalities, socioeconomic class, educational levels, hmm. uh, missional spheres, methodology of mission, uh, you know, we probably had some differences as far as like, uh, you know, functioning of the spirit. Yeah. You know, it's like it's some, we we probably could get we could get in some fights if we wanted to. Yeah. And yet there's this unity that's so there allows for all this diversity, and yet this complete like oneness moment. You mm. know, so it's really beautiful, but that kind of happens. In a lot of ways, because you you have this unity around suffering, yeah, and calling, like you're called, okay, and you're about you're about it, okay, me too, you know, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I think one of the things that I've heard you say often, or at least maybe more recently, is just that the life of a microchurch necessitates a network. Like you need a network if you're at at a certain point, yeah. the microchurch isn't going to cut it it's not going to be everything it can't be everything yeah uh and maybe there's a way that we're referencing that in terms of like centralized services or something 
But then there is that also that missionary peer, that relationship. A, a network of relationships between missionary peers. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I would just be curious for people who are, you know, at Tampa, we're really fortunate. We have a whole ecosystem of people who are missionary peers and can rely on each other. But occasionally... Crazy, crazy folks. Yeah. I mean, yeah. even earlier this week, I think I got an email from somebody... Uh, in another part of the country wanting to start a microchurch and wanting to like still be part of like the underground community. Yeah. And there's part of us that says, yeah, sure, we love you. We'll help you however right. we can. But yeah. there is a limit to that. There's a limitation. That's right. And and so for those people who are outside of Tampa or maybe feel like they're kind of one-off Lone Ranger people yep. doing things yep. on their own, what's the missionary peer for them? Well, yeah, no, man. Like if you're that person who's out there and you're kind of doing some kind of microchurch missional work, and and you're a bit alone. Um, <clears throat> you know, good on you. Mm. It shows that you have a lot of courage to initiate. So great. Yeah. You are going to die, though, if you're alone. And so you need to also initiate. So if you've initiated a mission, you now have to initiate in fellowship. Hmm. And find a few other fire-breather missional Christians. We're talking about missionary peers. So in your microchurch, you have a community of people that you lead. <clears throat> Those are not your peers, at, not at the way that we're talking about it. They're your peers, but you're, you know, they're your brothers and sisters. But, but at this missionary leader level, you mm-hmm. need a peer, right? Yeah. Somebody who leads other missional work. That could be found maybe at a church or a program that exists in the, you know, the, the what are the NA meetings that are Christian? <clears throat> you know what I'm talking about? I think so. You, you find some of those leaders. Yeah. Find some leaders that are feeding the homeless in the, in the park, you know. Um, you know, addiction ministry, homeless ministries, uh, campus ministries, parachurch organizations. Go find some parachurch organizations and just be like, hey, man, can we get coffee? We don't have to be best friends, mm. but we. I need to talk to another fire breather, yeah. like leader. Every once in a while, it doesn't even have to. It doesn't have to be every week. That's that's. A, they don't have to come to your thing ever, and you don't have to go to their thing ever. Yeah. That's the beauty of this. People think we. I have to be best friends. They have to come to my thing. I have to go to their thing. It's like no, none of that actually has to exist. Mm. But what has to exist is. You guys are missionary peers, like you're leaders at a peer level. Yeah. And you get together and you like love Jesus and you can fellowship in the sense of like, man, sometimes I want to quit, bro. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know? And and there's some kind of now you get a handful of those, two, three, four. It's a, it's basically a network of microchurches. So this parachurch leader, this parachurch leader, this parachurch leader, and you guys are like slowly meeting for coffee or lunch once a month, every six weeks, every eight weeks, something like that. You're going to find those people. Those people mm-hmm. exist. Sometimes their thing has a name, and maybe it's a 51C3 already. Sometimes it's not. It's just a, it's just a handful of people that come to the park and, and feed folks. You know, and give out socks. There's no organization to it. They're just like, you know, do do good or Christian people. But because they can't help it, because they're fire breathers, they love Jesus, and they think Jesus wants them to care for some folks. So that's what they're doing. Yeah, I want to talk to those people. I'm hmm. telling you, man, all over the world, I found these people. It's like so many reasons. Like, 
Like, and we're not best friends. That's the thing. But it's like when you sit with them, you recognize like, yo, we're, we're, there's something here. There's family here. Yeah. Like we're related and we shouldn't be, but we are. So that's what you're looking for. For me, it's very intuitive. I could, I could tell it almost instantly when I start talking to another believer, like, yeah, this, this was, uh, I could also tell the pretenders. So there's some people running 501c3 missional organizations that are they're pretenders, mm. you know. So I'm not talking about I don't hang out with those people, right? You know, not unless I have to, right? I have to be a nice Christian every <laughs> once in a while, but I don't I don't like to hang out with those people, yeah. uh, and those I I would never consider in the category of missionary peer, mm. right? So when I'm going through it, when I'm struggling, when the three dimensional Christian life that's joy. But also sadness and mourning and and victory of the cross. You know, it's like all of the three dimensional nature of our faith, yeah. with dirt under our nails type of thing. I want to talk to somebody who kind of gets that. Maybe we use some different words to describe it, but they get yeah. it too. They're like, "Yeah, I know what you're talking about." If you're, you know, in uh, you know Minnesota and you can't find, you, you don't have another network. Go and find it. So you've initiated with your missional work. Now initiate with the fellowship that you will need mm. to persevere the suffering that is coming for you. You know, I guarantee you, you'll find those people. Everybody I've ever talked to yeah. about this, they alone as alone can be. As soon as they start looking, they find them. You know, one, two, and and then they find their way into the appropriate relationships. So what does that look like? Is it every four weeks, six weeks? There's probably some kind of frequency rate. Yeah. Maybe for some folks it is every week. It's just super life-giving and you guys have the time. Great. But it doesn't have to be every week. It doesn't right. have to be every other week. There's not another meeting in your schedule. It's just we, we're going to need each other. Most likely they're going to need you too. Yeah. And they might not even know it yet. So that would be my advice. And as far as I could tell, when people start looking with those eyes, they mm -hmm. find those people. Would you say that there's anything that's like, I don't know, important to that meeting being life giving? Is there something that like, don't recruit each other? Okay. Almost, I would I would put ground rules like, bro, I want to get together. I don't want to do a recruit meeting. Yeah. I don't want you to recruit me, and I'm not going to recruit you. And, but we want to talk about some Jesus stuff. Mm. You know, yeah. There's life and Jesus and like the kingdom and whatever else comes up and we're just going to be like you know find our way forward in that yeah but the, i think that basic non-recruitment policy hmm. i think that really opens up vulnerability yeah you don't, have, you don't have to wear a mask with me man you know i'm not going to try to get you to i'm not trying to hustle you and you're not trying to hustle me yeah changes the game changes the conversation usually yeah I mean, not wearing a mask is a, a whole nother, carries a whole nother meaning in this time. <laughs> yeah. And so yeah, I guess it's yeah. maybe applicable in both senses. We're close enough to where metaphorically you don't have to wear a mask, but then also literally we, we trust each other enough yeah. to where yeah. <laughs> we're not going to give each other the Rona. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, because I feel like I can imagine somebody listening to this and feeling like, okay, okay, that's helpful. I like that. Now wanting to engineer the space and like how do i make this the most fruitful effective thing and i yeah so i was just curious like does there need to be an agenda or is it just no it's just two people who are on mission you sit down 
and just by nature of checking in with each other and seeing what God is doing in the other person's life, yeah. there's encouragement that happens. Yeah, yeah. I think if if something starts emerging, right? So you run into a few. So I have talked to a few folks that are like I'm actually connected to a few of these fire breather people, mm. and I think they might actually encourage each other. If and so they're already thinking like, what if I had a barbecue at my house mm. and we just like just blessed each other and prayed for each other at the mm. end of the night. Like, super short, super, like, organic. But that person takes on, like, a role of leadership, in a sense. Like, organization. I'm going to organize the barbecue. I'm going to call yeah. the party, you know. And I'm, I'm the one who knows these five random people. But I think I think they would, like, love each other if they knew each other. Mm. Um, so I've heard of people doing that. And, and it's just natural, you know. It's like, you know, you don't have to engineer it if it's not there. Yeah. But if God has given you those relationships and those opportunities, it is possible that he's asking you to say, you know, actually these people should know each other, which then creates a mini network, but it's organic and it may remain organic. Like, mm. so you're doing your microchurch thing and now you have this super organic network of five other microchurches, parachurches in your city, but the leaders are being encouraged and fueled by each other in that type of missionary peer relationship great it, that might be all that god is asking you to do mm. and so there's no need to have an agenda like oh now we're going to like make this the underground in our city or something it's like maybe not what what is god asking you to do yeah if he's just asking you to have a barbecue with these five people and pray then just do that mm. you know if he asks you to do something else then do that too you know so yeah. it, it kind of takes the pressure off just kind of take the step that god is asking you to take and uh, you know, usually leaders have a have a sense of that. Like, I think there might be more here, but you know, just take the first step, yeah. which is you know, maybe get coffee. <laughs> <That's good. laughs> and so, I mean, we're kind of talking about the role of missionary peers, and yeah, the way that leadership needs change over time. Uh, I mean, have we we I guess indirectly have we talked about reciprocity and the that whole thing? We haven't, I'm not sure we use that word, but yeah, yeah, yeah. that's the, you know, hey man, me too, yeah, type of thing, yeah, you know, and the in the sense that peers can do reciprocity, right? Leaders serve, so if I'm a if if you're in my microchurch and I'm serving you, I'm the leader, then I'm the slave of mm. all, right? So I wear a towel of a servant, but if we're peers, we actually have reciprocity. In a different way yeah. than I can have if you're just a member of my microchurch and I'm serving you, right. type of thing. Right. So again, we have the theology for this. We have the, the theological framing for this. It's just we have a, we do a bad job importing it into our current context. So we need the missionary peers who are at the peer level. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that there can be reciprocity, and it seems that uh, what what are our words? Proximity, reciprocity, and commitment. Yeah. So in our network, those are kind of three things that we, we've recognized. There's some kind of common commitment, so manifesto values, mm-hmm. commitment to be a leader, or a, a leadership covenant, or something like that. Um, you know, reciprocity, like, I'm going to ask you about your life, you ask me about my life, I come to pray for you, you've come to pray for me, so there's that reciprocity kind of happening. Again, in my microchurch, I've come to pray for you, 
I have no expectation that you've come to pray for me. Right. And it's a good chance you have not come to pray for me. Yeah. It has been my experience. You know, <laughs> it's, a lot of the members don't come to pray for me. They've yeah. come for me to pray for them. Right. And so that, and that's kind of the nature of that leadership and calling piece. So, uh, but then also the proximity, like you got to rub elbows, which is admittedly the, the limitation of our network is for persevering microchurches. If we're going to serve persevering microchurch and microchurch leaders, they have to be in a drivable distance because mm. you got to you got to rub elbows. That's that's the best way I could put it. Because it's not like you have to be in the same space all the time. You don't have to be best friends with each other. You don't have to show up every week to something. But you do have to rub elbows somehow, mm. some way, and. That, that's as dialed in as we've gotten so far. But you do have to rub elbows, which means, sorry, if you're in Texas, we can't rub elbows with you. Right. So we we might be able to you know, put some stuff online to help you get started, and that's how we can serve you to get started as a microchurch. But we're never going to be able to help you persevere as a microchurch right? because we can't rub elbows with you. So therefore, we can encourage you in the podcast like this yeah. to go find those other fire breathers that are in your city you know do the work of initiating fellowship and so that you can persevere in your local expression so yeah i mean I, this wasn't one of the questions i had written down but i feel like maybe it's just important as we talk about suffering is you know we talk about its uh prevalence and the just its prominence in scripture we the the reality that we experience as we do mission and just live um but i think the question of yeah how do we suffer well like it's easy to i mean when we're going through it it's just miserable you hate it and then you get to the end of it if you have a moment of reprieve or whatever and you can kind of reflect on that season with some sobriety and say okay, yeah, maybe this is how I handled this well, or maybe I could have done better here. But yeah, just in terms of suffering well, how do you suffer well? What does that look well, like? Oh, man, who knows the answer to this? <laughs> going to ask uh, Teresa of Avila or something like that, you know? <laughs> ask, the, ask the saints in the, the monasteries or something, I don't know. The, I mean, the only thing that's a guiding, you know, post for me is like, is the 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 eucharist you know mm-hmm. the sense of like am i am, you know how much do i look like jesus yeah. in this and sometimes i don't look like him at all and it's sad it's like you know i'm not sure i'm fellowshipping with him in the suffering you know we've been through some i've been through some hard stuff right you know emotionally suffering you know and yeah, sometimes it's like, yeah, I, I think I joined Jesus in praying at Gethsemane, right? Mm-hmm. And then other times I fell asleep. <laughs> I was the disciple who fell asleep. <laughs> yeah. I didn't join him in praying, you know? Um, you know, so I don't know. I, I, I think there's something about imitation of, mm-hmm. of Jesus. But there's probably wiser people that have like, better advice you know yeah but i i think if that's you're trying to do that you're trying to find your way into suffering like him joining him mm. you're probably you're probably not too far off 
from suffering well. Yeah. You know, I do think it's interesting that like we're grafted onto the tree of Israel and the idea like Israel is one who wrestles with God. Mm. And even in that scene, there's like pain, right? Hmm. There's the hip thing, right? In the wrestling match that takes place with, with God or the angel of the Lord or whoever that figure is. Yeah. Um, and I just think that's so interesting. Like, man, there's something fundamental about the way we interact with God that is tough. There's yeah. a toughness to it. There's a s- suffering to it. And again, it's almost like suffering's too basic of a word. Like, I love burrito. I love my wife. <laughs> it's not, they're not. The, it's not the same love. You know, there's suffering in the kingdom. There's natural suffering in the earth. You know. Mm. Um, but it, it is weird. It's a it's a it's a strange thing. There's this wrestling. So even that that element of suffering, it's like, man, we gotta. I don't know. We gotta not be afraid of that, you know, and and, and lean into it and embrace it somehow. Uh, it, it's something. I mean, it's almost like an identity marker mm. for for us, you know. I mean, circumcision. Yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> it's like. There's these things, like even in the Old Testament, so we've kind of referenced a lot of the New Testament, there's all this Old Testament stuff here. It's like, what is going on here? You know? <laughs> uh, this is a very strange, if this is about making you feel good, mm. this is a strange way about it. Yeah. You know? So, yeah. So, you know, as far as encouraging people, man, like, like our discipleship and, and just allowing people to wrestle even the whole like before calling people hit that liminal space that that you're being undone by pain your own pain or the pain of another yeah like it's one of the initial conditions to hearing like a specific calling from jesus but if we don't let people sit in that space which is a suffering space like mm-hmm. being undone by pain you yeah. know um then then we're robbing them of maturity actually you mm-hmm. know so yeah uh, we don't want to do that. So when, when you know, we uh, some of the unarmed uh, shootings, you know, that were happening. We had uh, last, I guess it was a year and a half ago. A couple. It was like, it was their liminal moment. I mean, they were being undone by the suffering of the black community, and yeah. they didn't quite understand it. They, these are two white people. I just make sure I clarify. <laughs> 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 and and they're. I mean, they're just undone by this. And, Mm. you know, and there's ways I could just kind of try to explain it all. Or, you know, uh, I was just like, yeah, yeah, it sucks, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it sucks. How you probably should, like, shake your fist at God a little bit. See what happens. See how he answers you. You know? Because he will. Because he definitely cares about black people. Yeah, I would say so. You know, so, uh, man, our discipleship just—I just think it's—it's it's so much richer when we don't run away. We allow for that chaotic peace to come in, and where God brings order to the chaos. Yeah, you know, and somehow we get a new name called Israel, and we're like a new people mm. on the other side of it. Yeah. So, yeah, all that stuff, man. There's so much richness there 
I mean, there is a maturity that does happen. There is a, a deepening of a person's spiritual life. There is a gravitas that people carry out of it uh, because they, they bear the marks of Christ in their body. Uh, and it shows when they speak and, and the ability to have suffered and to still possess joy, like you mentioned. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and to, to still be able to laugh uh, in the midst of some of the crazy things that you've seen. Uh, it's, just, it's just different. It's just different entirely. And so, yeah, I don't know if there's anything else that you had or you wanted to share in terms of your reflections on suffering and just the role of that in uh, missionary life. Uh, no, not really. <laughs> I think I think that's it. Uh, you know, I just know that you're not alone. You know, like God is with us, mm. and your brothers and sisters are too. Yeah. So it's it's okay, and we have a pretty impressive track record with this subject. You know, not as Americans as much, but. Like two thousand years yeah. of church history, I mean, this is how the Christians went out and died. They're martyred, mm. and they suffered, and they wouldn't deny Jesus. And they had really good reasons to deny Jesus. Yeah, <laughs> uh, very compelling reasons to deny him, and they and they wouldn't. So it's like, man, we we join in like this legacy of our people. Like we we are being made of people who are not a people, and somehow suffering is a part of that. Hmm. Somehow the the cruciform life. I forget who, who's the author. Uh, the cruciform life. Brian Brian always references that. I, I forget don't right even now. Know. I've never read not it. Not Moltman. Yeah yeah yeah. Okay. Moltman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. The cruciform life. Man, it is we just can't run away from it. Like that is, that's us. Hmm. We are that people. Yeah. You know. So let's embrace it. Mm, mm. Man, that's a perfect place to end it. If you're listening and you're kind of fascinated by all this, I mean, some of what we have tried to do as we have journeyed with microchurch leaders is we've, we do our best to understand what do leaders need and how do needs change over time. And we're still developing some of the language around this. But if you go to tampaunderground.com slash toolkit, there should be a resource called leader one leader two handout uh, and it's helpful to be able to identify where you are in that journey if you're needing resources encouragement uh, or yeah if it's uh, missionary peers reciprocity commitment those are the things that you're looking for and so there's a helpful breakdown on there you can go to that website tampaunderground.com toolkit and uh that should be able to help you out. But as always, thank you so much for listening. This is the end of our Microchurch 101 series. This is the end of season one. Thank you so much for listening, and we look forward to seeing you in the fall. Take care. <laughs>